journey to the centre of my head. I've been thinking about enlightenment. Of course, that's actually the problem, thinking. As a Qigong teacher and practitioner, I'm sick of the scholarly book translators who clearly haven't actually bothered to do the work themselves. I've written before about the golden flower meditation where Wilhelm and Jung, Carl Jung, spent years analysing the text, but it was clear that neither had actually employed the techniques in their lives. I suspect the same might be levelled at Thomas Cleary. His translations are peerless, but does he actually follow the lifestyle? I wonder. This then is the problem. My addiction, and actually it is my addiction, reading or studying. It seems an anathema to the Western mind, the idea that reading might actually be addictive. Defining addiction, we see such terms as compulsive need and an urge to do something that's hard to control. That all fits perfectly with my reading and learning habits. As a teacher, I like to feel that I'm the most knowledgeable person in the class. Clearly, this is just an ego construct to make me feel more secure in my role. If we're talking maths here, then I do have to know the theory, or I'll be a rubbish maths teacher. With Qigong, it's required to know the body movements and the theory behind the mind activity. But at some stage, it's actually more beneficial to let go of the theory, rather than keep on piling it on. You can suddenly find yourself in the academic setting when all personal deep understanding has disappeared. This is where I find myself repeatedly with the enlightenment question. It's actually much easier to read about other people's journeys than it is to put in the work oneself. I've been a bit of an armchair enlightenment enthusiast over the years. Meditation. It comes from the fact that as a computer nerd, I had a seriously monkey mind, which took a lot of taming. Being a rugby guy, I also had a body that refused to fold in any recognisable method. I've had a constant flow of new sitting meditation cushions over the years. I remember with amusement on one of our retreats where a newcomer took about six meditation cushions and piled them into a vertical stack until they were the same height as a normal chair would have been. That was so familiar to me. It's been a constant battle to get my legs and feet into a position where I could actually relax. The issue with meditation is also bound up with Qigong practice to a certain extent. You need to have enough internal qi to support a decent meditation. If your levels of qi are depleted, you need Qigong to boost them to steady your meditation. If you're somebody who habitually falls asleep during meditation, then this is the diagnosis for you. So firstly, we need to be comfortable there's nothing that stops meditation like discomfort. Then we need energy to maintain the practice. If all the stars align, then we have hope of getting into the zone. Enlightenment. Do we actually want it? 
We've heard about the Age of Enlightenment historically as being a time when we emerge from the Dark Ages into a new scientific world. How's that going for you people? It generally sounds like a good idea, the sort of thing a nice person would want for themselves, doesn't it? But surely that's the kind of thing only saints aspire to. If you've read the books by Jed McKenna, he basically says, don't come here unless you absolutely have to. For him, the dissolution of the ego was the death by a thousand cuts, a shockingly painful journey. I guess for all of us it's going to be different, as we all have different handicaps to deal with. For me, Qigong has been my 30 plus year journey. Perhaps it's actually been a death of a thousand exercises for me. There has been mountain after mountain to climb. Somehow in my twenties I decided this was the path for me and I seem to have stayed it with all its twists and turns. I'm fairly self-critical and would judge myself to be a real Qigong part-timer who shirks off at every possible chance. I suppose the truth is that in the past 25 years or more, I've been teaching a minimum of five classes a week, sometimes seven or eight, and often running a course or a retreat at the weekends. I also have a daily practice, which can last from five minutes to one or two hours. Maybe the stories I tell myself about my active participation and the reality are actually different. The important thing, though, is a Qigong state of mind. Qigong mind. My colleague John was asked, how many hours a day should his student practice? John always cheekily replies to this question with the answer, why do you stop? Clearly, we don't have the resources to be waving our arms about and bending forwards and backwards all day. It's about the ability to hold yourself in a Qigong state whilst you interact with daily life. What does that look like? I encourage my students to listen inside at every possible juncture. In physical exercise, it's seriously important to constantly be monitoring what your body is telling you and processing the feedback appropriately. There's really no point in coming to my online classes, waving your arms about whilst thinking about the shopping, and then you end up with a pulled muscle. You end up thinking, this Qigong is too hard and it's too dangerous for me, and then you don't come back to class again. In this case, it really is you and not me. If you hurt yourself, you haven't been listening or concentrating inside. Anybody in the whole world can do Zheneng Qigong. There's not a single person who would not benefit from it. We have physical exercises, but we also have exercises that you can do in your head, too, without even lifting a finger. There's a famous Zheneng story that does the rounds of a guy made paraplegic in an industrial accident in China, who studied and practiced the forms in his head day after day. 
until suddenly the feeling returned to his fingertips. He then redoubled his efforts and eventually brought himself back to full health and mobility. He became a Jeneng Qigong teacher after that and taught for many years. I know many people who actually met him. The power of your mind is awesome when directed powerfully and with the right tools. It's the old story of a 100 watt light bulb. It lights your room perfectly. If that power was focused into a laser, it would cut through steel plate. Your mind can be trained to be that laser. So the question and implication here is that your mind can be trained to be in a better state through your daily practice. It's all about balance and stability in Chinese medicine and culture. When your child crayons on the wall, when somebody bumps into the back of your car, when your queue in the supermarket stops moving and the others zoom onwards, when your partner says something stupid, can you hold your equilibrium? Can you listen inside? It's just the same as in the exercise class, listening to your body, but this time it's listening to your emotions. As we practice Qigong, we start to become aware of what makes us tick. We start to notice our reactions and learn ways to balance them accordingly. This then is a Qigong state of mind. This then is the daily practice that never stops. Once you become a Qi person, then everything flows better. You then discover that you never really stop practicing. You're just not always waving your arms around. Enlightenment practice. What actually happens when you spend ages in practice? Well, eventually you find that the Qigong epithet, moving meditation, is actually very opposite. You wouldn't necessarily think that doing something might eventually lead you to doing nothing, but it does. I think we can all associate with hours of colouring in a picture, gardening, walking in nature, where the brain has just spontaneously gone quiet. This is the zone that sportsmen talk of. Time stops. You're just very present. It's a common phenomena in Qigong. Your movement leads you to stillness. Stillness. Where does this stillness lead you then? Finally, we're starting to zone in on this idea of enlightenment. Please don't forget that I said I was rubbish at it and I'm a bit of an armchair enthusiast. Over the years, I've experienced this zone more and more. It's getting so that I can summon it up without too much effort. In this quiet state, I have had some experiences of what many authors in this area call complete awareness. I remember a spectacular event on a retreat up in Scotland with my school 
the Three Monkeys School of Qigong. We were all gathered at Samiling, a Buddhist retreat centre we sometimes use in the wilds of the Scottish borders. We were practising an evening standing meditation. It followed its usual course, my monkey mind chattering, my body shifting with discomfort, a short phase where these feelings started to fade into the background, when I might expect to hit the quiet zone. This evening, something else happened. The floor of the practice hall peeled away, as if the doors to an observatory had just rolled back. Suddenly, I was standing in, or on, the universe. What made this even odder was that I was totally aware of the people around me. The hall was still there, the students round me, but now the floor had become my own private window to the whole of the universe. Accompanying this visual experience was also an auditory experience where I could hear the rushing of air, almost like this reality was punctured and leaking out into the universe. I was able to feel that air brushing over my skin. I surveyed the glory of the universe for a while and understood the unity of me and it. There was no division, only oneness. It has to be said, it wasn't like being in a planetarium with identifiable stars or galaxies. More just the understanding that this was the oneness I was seeing. After a while, a feeling of fear started to build. I had the logical thought, I'm standing on nothing. I'm going to fall out of this reality into outer space. As soon as my logical mind had barged its way into the scene, everything stopped with a jolt. I nearly collapsed with the surprise of it all. It was so real or unreal. Unity Consciousness Since that time, I've been able to experience this state again from time to time. I think this might be the tiniest glimpse into what unity consciousness and enlightenment may well be like. I think that one's continued practice starts to join the instances together and to make the experience easier to access. Certainly, some of the people I've read on enlightenment talk about this unity consciousness and how with work it becomes a permanent state. That when one finally stops the stream of conscious thoughts that the ego is and provides, that this state becomes permanent. My understanding is that one can dwell in this space and view this reality we live in and see it for what it truly is, an illusion. For a while I wondered why anybody would want to break this glorious game and see beyond the fabric. My feeling is that this is the true experience of God. 
I don't think that it breaks what we have. It just brings an astonishing new perspective to this life. From this new standpoint, I don't think there's anything left except love, love and love. As you realise that everybody and everything ultimately is you and you are it. I hear there's a new documentary out that talks a lot about the matrix theory or sims theory that has us as little digital figures in a computer program. Yeah, it's that and so much more fantastic than that. A generation of writers and thinkers who've all been brought up on gaming must assume that this is a game. That's only a fraction of the beauty and wonder of it all. Digital is so binary. We are talking total truth, total unity. As always, I'll let you know when I get there.